If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hi everyone, it's Erin Sadler, and today I'm recording this episode from my closet all alone. It's just me answering a listener question. So I'm going to go ahead and read this question from Ben in Michigan. So there's a lot in this question. I'm going to paraphrase part of it, but he says, the difference between evidence and reasoning gets very blurry. I don't understand the difference. So he provides an example. He says, for example, I observe salt become invisible more quickly in warm water. I observe the warm and the disappearance. I infer that it dissolved. Finally, I claim that solutes dissolve faster in warm water. He says in this example, what's the evidence? He's pretty sure that it's the observations, but he also is having trouble with the reasoning in this particular case. So he follows up by saying that for now, he's decided that he's just going to focus on having his students support claims with evidence. And he says that he's very confused. If I can help clear this up, that he'd be very grateful. So I'm going to try. We're going to start by just talking about the difference between evidence and reasoning, because I feel like that's enough. And then we'll go back to his example. And I'll explain some of the kind of like foundational problems that he has with it and provide some suggestions from there. Remember that we're currently recording the podcast right now. So all of this, I'm recording this on what day is it? Wednesday, and it's going live on Monday. We don't always have this set up to where we're like receiving questions and answering them right away. So this is a great time for you to submit your question. You can go to teachingscienceand3d.com slash questions, and we have a little form that you fill out. Um, You can also find us on Instagram and just submit a question there. We would really love it if you were willing to submit an audio file, just because that makes it a little bit more interesting if you're willing to do that. Okay, so let's get to it. So from what I've seen, most people struggle with the difference between evidence and reasoning, including our students. um, And a lot of that comes from our difficulty in explaining The reason that we have such trouble with it is because both of these are pieces of the justification. So we're justifying our claim. So if I'm saying, um, like Ben is in this example, that solutes dissolve more quickly in warmer water, then that's my claim. The evidence and reasoning are both justification. They're explaining why the claim is correct. 
So for many people, this is really intertwined and it's difficult for them to separate these two pieces. So I have a trick and this actually kind of came up accidentally. Nicole has a resource on her Teachers Pay Teachers store that she uses for teaching students to analyze and interpret data. And I just happened to come across it and I loved it and I adapted her strategy for argumentation. So I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. Um, it In this activity, she has students write on a graph. She like provides them with a graph and has them write down what they see on the graph and what it means. So when I think about evidence and reasoning, I think about what I see and what it means. What I see is the evidence and what it means is the reasoning. So generally speaking, I don't see students having trouble with the claim. If that's something that you're having trouble with, please write in and we can do a separate episode on that. Um, But for the most part, it seems like that's pretty okay. What happens is when we get to that evidence and reasoning piece, everything starts to get a little bit scrambled up. So let me provide you with an example that I use in my classroom. And this is also available on my Teachers Pay Teacher store. I will link to it in in the write-up and in the show notes and all of that. So what I do pretty early on with my seventh graders is we start to talk about particle motion. And when I talk about particle motion, you know, I'm talking about this on a seventh grade level. We do the thing that everybody does where you have two beakers and the temperature of the water in the beakers is different. And then you drop food coloring in each of the beakers and you see which one the students observe that the particles of the food coloring move more quickly in one of the beakers. So from there, they can collect data and this can be quantitative or qualitative. So they can just write down their observation that it's moving more quickly. They could touch it and see that one of them is warmer and one of them is colder. They can, they can, you know, write down the temperature in each beaker. That is their evidence. What they're seeing in the beaker itself and what they're observing, what they can write down is the evidence. So remember, we're using that cue, what do you see? So let's say, for example, the water in beaker number one is 30 degrees Celsius and the water in beaker number two is 60 degrees Celsius. So the students, you say, hey, what's your evidence? What do you see? What can you tell me? They'll say, they'll tell you about the temperature of the beakers. Then you say, well, what does that mean? And a lot of them will struggle. And one of the common reasons that I notice students struggle is because they think that that the reasoning is implied. Like you should be able to figure this out yourself. I don't need to tell you. The reasoning is, is that the 60 degree beaker is warmer than the beaker that's 30 degrees. That's the interpretation. And it's so obvious that students often forget that they have to say it. So this idea that it's warmer combined with the idea that the particles are moving more quickly in the warmer water and slower in the colder water leads us to believe that temperature has something to do with the particle motion. So again, even in this example, it's a little bit confusing, the difference between evidence and reasoning. But what I'm seeing is that when the temperature is higher, the particles move faster. And what I'm seeing is is that when the temperature is lower, the the particles move more slowly. 
So what I'm able to interpret, which is the reasoning and what this evidence means, is that temperature affects the speed of particle motion. So I have two pieces of evidence that support this. That's my reasoning, is that this shows me in two different instances that that the temperature affects how the particles move, if that makes sense. And it's really tricky because, again, that's pretty obvious when you get to this point. And for some of the students, it's that distinction is it, it feels very blurry. So, again, sticking to that prompt, what I see, what do you see, and what does that mean? So, Ben, I'm guessing that this might be part of the problem is that that reasoning component is so obvious, it feels like it doesn't need to be stated. And I'll go back to your example later and we'll talk about what you could potentially say for the reasoning component. So, the solution to that problem is just making sure that they're being really explicit in explaining what the what the evidence means. And sometimes that means stating the obvious. The other problem that students have is that they'll combine the evidence and the reasoning. So they'll talk about it all in one, um, you know, like kind of like a run on sentence kind of a thing. So one of the ways that I practice this in my classroom is through writing. And this is really great because it's a good way for you to bring in those ELA skills. Um, if you work with your ELA team, this can go a little bit more easily for you. Um, so what I have students do is we focus on writing a paragraph. The first sentence is a claim. Second um, sentence is a piece of evidence where they're telling me what they see. Then the third sentence is reasoning they're telling me what the evidence means then they write another about another piece of evidence and another piece of reasoning so it ends up being like a five sentence paragraph generally unless their reasoning is a little bit longer and then what i have them do is i have them take out three highlighters and they have to highlight the claim in one color both pieces of evidence in another color and then the reasoning in a third color and what this does is for those students who are combining those things, they realize like, hey, I don't have any reasoning here. Or, you know, they start talking to you about like, something's not quite right. And generally what they'll do is they'll combine sentence two and three and sentence four and five. So they'll combine those evidence and reasoning components. What I do is I ask them to separate what they see and what it means. So what is it that you're directly observing? And what is the really obvious thing that you have to state that explains what that evidence means? Even if it's really obvious, I want you to write a sentence about it. And by doing this, by having them separate those pieces, they get better and better at this. So in my resource, in my Teachers by Teachers store, I have a few examples and the kids go through and they highlight some from an example paragraph. And this is really good, even if they struggle with this piece, um, they have really good conversations about what, it, what the difference is between evidence and reasoning. Um, and gradually they get a little bit better. So this is something that I have them keep in their notebook. And then anytime that they're struggling with evidence and reasoning, we go back to this and I point to that example. And we kind of go through it together. 
One of the things that I really like about having them highlight is that it doesn't always fix the problem. The highlighting itself doesn't, doesn't always fix it, but it does help me see where they're struggling. So if they have a sentence highlighted as reasoning, but it's evidence, then I know that they are, that they feel like their evidence is, is providing an explanation, more of an explanation than it is. So, um, that's kind of a crummy example because I don't have a piece of student work in front of me, but, um, but it does just help kind of direct that conversation. And we've talked about how we don't necessarily love CER for argumentation for forever. Ideally, we want your students to actually be having a back and forth argument, but, um, but I do like it for teaching them those pieces. I really like slowing things down and having them write it out. Example. So Ben says, I observe salt become invisible more quickly in warm water. I observe the warmth and the disappearance. I infer that it dissolved. Next, I graph my data, data points. Finally, I claim that solutes dissolve faster in warm water. And he wants to know what's the evidence in this example. So when we think about it, we need to think about what we're seeing that tells us that the solutes are dissolving. And if I were running this experiment, I love that he's he's graphed different data points. So I'm in, you know, I'm kind of envisioning that he has maybe a few different beakers with different temperatures of water so that he can actually graph those points. Maybe he's having students time how long it takes for, for the stuff to dissolve so that he can have that quantitative data. The thing that I'm missing here is, is that I feel like I can't infer that it dissolved using just the data that I have in front of me. Um, so when we're when I'm teaching students about particle motion in seventh grade, I'm also thinking about dispelling misconceptions. There is um, there's a really good resource that shows student misconceptions, and I will link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but I want to think about what else, what other explanations there could potentially be. So how do I know that it dissolved? Well, I know that it dissolved and it didn't go somewhere else, like it didn't evaporate or something, because the mass will be the same before and after. So if I take the mass of the salt and the water separately and then put it together, that, that mass should be the same to show that the salt didn't go somewhere else. So even if I can't see it, it's still there. So in this case, it's pretty easy to separate out the evidence and the reasoning. The mass before and the mass after were the same. Therefore, I can conclude my reasoning is that the salt is still in the beaker. So the evidence is the data that the mass before and after. And the reasoning is because the mass is the same, I can infer that that salt is still in the beaker. It also sounds like you have a lot of data here because you're, you have enough that you can graph it. So you can say at this data point the you know, I see that the temperature is this and it took this many seconds for the salt to dissolve. And then at this temperature, it took this many seconds. That's your evidence. The reasoning is talking about that interpretation of the data. So if you're graphing it, that graph is really your, um, it, you've kind of taken the data that you originally collected and started to put it in an easier 
to interpret form. Um, so you're saying that you're seeing an increase with the temperature. That's your reasoning is you're saying that every time I do this, that I'm getting the same results. So that's connecting the evidence to the claim. So it's a little bit funky and I understand why you're confused because it's, again, it seems obvious that you're saying when this happens, this happens. And you know, you're, you're identifying a cause and effect relationship, but seeing this cause and effect relationship over and over again, and being able to recognize a pattern is that reasoning component. So the other piece is you really have to set this up to where there's conflicting ideas or else there's no argument and there's no need for a claim and evidence and reasoning. So I like to use the cast item specifications, and I talk about this a little bit more extensively in um, episode 78 when I talk about argumentation. And what these have is they basically have every performance expectation, um, all of them, and you click on it and it opens up a Word document. And on that Word document, it talks about common misconceptions that students have. So when I'm writing an activity, I think about the actual explanation and student misconceptions and how I can put them in a situation where they have these two conflicting ideas and they can very, very clearly determine which of this two these two conflicting ideas are correct. So you really need that, um, that other piece, that other potential explanation in order to make this really easy for your students to, to interpret. Um, and that might be one of the pieces that's missing for you is that alternate argument. And again, I talk about that in more detail in episode 78, which is five easy strategies to improve scientific arguments. If you still have any questions after this episode, I suggest that you go back and listen to that one. Um, Ben had one more question. He said that he's focusing primarily on connecting evidence to the claim. And he asks, is that okay? And absolutely it is. This is a really great way to scaffold the CER for your students. Um, we often suggest that you go back and you take a look at the NSTA matrix for the science and engineering practices. And that's a fantastic resource because it has um, it describes what each practice looks like for each grade level band. And in the third through fifth grade band, we're really just focusing on that evidence and reasoning component. And anytime that you're looking for a good way to scaffold these practices, it's great to go look back at previous grade level bands. And then once your students have gotten that piece, you can move on to your grade band. So Ben, you're doing an excellent job. You're scaffolding for your students. Hopefully we can eventually get them to a point where they are able to do that reasoning piece. But I think by taking a look at those common misconceptions and by teaching them the what I see, what it means framework, that that will help you a lot. So I'm going to have a lot of resources in the show notes. Um, I will link to Nicole's what I see, what it means resource. I will link to um, my my like little thing that I do for argumentation to teach my students. Um, I will link to um, the NSTA matrix for the science and engineering practices and those um, cast item specifications that includes the student misconceptions. And I think you should be good to go. 
Um, if you have any more questions, of course, please reach out to us because we would love to answer them and any questions that any of our audience has. So again, you could submit questions at teachingsciencein3d.com slash questions. And I look forward to um, hearing from you. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.